Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave, that's me. Bartenders and hospitality types get to see a broad swathe of humanity at their finest and often at their worst. And they pick up a lot of stories along the way. Hospitality, at its best, is also often a storytelling experience. And some of the best storytellers work in the industry. But what if you want to take it further and get into writing about drinks and bars and the stories that come from that well? This episode is one for you. My guest is Holly Graham. She's someone who's writing about the bar world I admire a lot. And she's become one of Asia's, if not the world's, most trusted authorities on all things drinks and bars and booze. She's the managing editor for Drink Magazine in Asia. She's an academy chair for both the world's 50 best bars and Asia's 50 best bars. And just this past week was named at number seven on Drinks International's Bar 100 list of the most influential global bar figures out there. She's also just written and published her first book called Cocktails of Asia. So in this episode, Holly talks about how she came to be a drinks and bars writer. She talks about how she not only came up with the idea for her book, but what's involved in pulling it all together, from getting it out there to promoting it and everything in between. She'll also tell us whether or not it's wise to expect to make any money from writing a book. Holly also shares her advice for anyone wanting to get into writing and why a passion for your subject is so important. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you will too. Before we get onto it though, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please share them with a friend, email them out to someone, go onto your podcast player and give it a rating. It helps us to get discovered and to get into the ears of like-minded people like yourself. I'm really keen to build a genuine community around Boothby and around the Drinks at Work podcast. Okay, so let's get on to my chat now with Holly Graham. Holly Graham, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work. Thanks for having me, Sam Bygrave. How are you? I feel like I'm, I have to use your full name because you use my full name. <laughs> I'm a full name kind of guy. I like to say full name sometimes, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's just one of my things. Uh, uh, thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited about having our little chat today because um, you've got one of the more interesting drinks roles out there, I think, as a managing editor. It's managing editor, right? Yeah, that's me. Of Drink Magazine in Asia. You get to do a fair bit of travel around the region. And you're also an Academy Chair for the World's 50 Best Bars. And you're a newly published author. So there's heaps of stuff for us to talk to today, which is great. Yes, got my finger in all the pies. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a busy lady. I'm going to get to your origin story in a, in a second about how you got into writing about bars and everything. But just uh, so we can set the table a bit, what does your role at Drink Magazine entail? Um, so, yeah, as you rightly said, I'm the managing editor um, and I cover um, all of Asia outside of China. So Drink started in China, I believe, 11 or 12 years ago now. Um, and we have a big WeChat platform there and a separate team for that. And I take care of everything outside of that. Um, so everything up to, you know, Myanmar over to, you know, basically all of Asia over to Japan, down to Indonesia, um, and a little bit international as well. You know, um, I've been fortunate to travel a fair bit and, you know, we're not just limited to Asia, but that's where we shine the light on. So yeah, I get to write about the bars, the people, the products and the awesomeness of our region and the cocktails and yeah. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a small region either. It, it, there's a lot of sort of, I guess, uh, regional variation that goes on there too. Yeah, for sure. You know, like you've got, you know, there's like similarities between like Hong Kong and Singapore, but then, you know, Japan and Korea are very different. Um, yeah, there's lots of different stuff going on. It's a really cool place to write about. 
Yeah, I have a little bit of professional jealousy about the, the expanse <laughs> of your role. <laughs> I, I mean, so, you, you, cover, you cover as big an area as me. It's just one country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not that much difference, though, in terms of the culture between Perth and Brisbane. You know? <laughs> true, yeah. Although I'm sure they'd argue different. <laughs> well, yeah, true. So but how, did, how did you get into writing about bars and drinks and bartenders and stuff? Did you do any sort of formal training beforehand? Yeah, just by drinking a lot, I guess. No, I mean, like, <laughs> like, look, I graduated um, from university with a degree in media, but I specialized in videography and photography. Um, and I was not ever very, I've got an eye for photography, but I'm not very good at using cameras. Um, so that kind of fizzled out a little bit. But <laughs> when I was doing videography, like, I really enjoyed script writing, which is obviously a completely different process to, you know, editorial. But, like, that's mm. probably where my sort of writing started. But I wouldn't call it formal training, um, like didn't study journalism or anything. Um, and I'd always enjoyed writing, you know, kids write elaborate stories. My mum, she doesn't like hoarding stuff, but she always kept my English books from school, like my English nice. text, uh, you know, like uh, jotters, because like she was like your stories and poems and I used to write some crazy shit. So I guess like, you know, <laughs> it's always been there somewhere. And yeah, like, you know, so... I mean, people have had me tell this story millions of times, but I moved to Asia as an English teacher. And basically, by the time I got to Hong Kong, um, I realized there were other opportunities that, for expats that weren't just, uh, you know, like teaching or engineering, which is what I'd seen when I was in Thailand and Korea. Mm. Um, so I moved here and I was like, All right, fuck this. I hate teaching. Kids are sniveling wrecks. Um, <laughs> it's time to branch out. Um, <laughs> and just started freelancing uh under the advice of uh i so i reached out to a few sort of like managing editors and they were kind enough to you know sit down with me and have some coffee and give me advice and yeah started to build up my portfolio and yeah job at time out hong kong came up for a food writer um yeah. and i applied for it i don't know how i got it, it was so little experience but it's probably because they could pay me so little that's why i got the job <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and then eventually became food and drink editor but um, yeah, like just found myself, I've always, you know, always enjoyed, like my dad was always like a really, well, still is a very enthusiastic cook. Um, so he sort of instilled that love of food into me. Yeah. Um, my family have always been into cocktails and stuff, not like massively, but probably more than the average family. Sure. Um, and that, that combined, you know, sparked my love for F&B. But I kind of started to fall out of love with writing about food. I just, I don't know what it was. I just always found like booze a lot more interesting and like I'm not really into science but I think like the nerdiness and the science behind booze was like a science I could get down with you know yeah so, I'm the same, yeah, just yeah. found myself found myself gravitating towards that side more yeah right and then you also uh then decided to start working in a bar too right yeah so when I left time out um abruptly uh that's another story um <laughs> I <laughs> I got home um, and saw my, well, my, he's my husband, but my boyfriend at the time, who you know very well, Mr. Tom Edgerton. And I said, yeah. I think I just quit my job. And he was like, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, let's go get drunk. So, yeah. <laughs> this is always a good we solution. To, yeah. Um, so we went to the old man um, and those guys had become friends um, because I basically I'd reviewed the old man. I didn't really know them before. And it was the only five-star review I ever gave when I was at timeout. And a girl and Roman made like a point of finding me and reaching out to me and were like, you know, your review was amazing. 
you know, we were like, he gave us goosebumps and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I think your bar is awesome. And we kind of built up that rapport and mm. I became a regular there. So it made sense to go and drown my sorrows there. Um, and then, yeah, so I walked in and Agong was like, hey, are you okay? And I was like, no, I just quit my job. Um, he was like, well, what, what, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. Do you want to give me a job? And he was like, okay, when can you start? I said, tomorrow. And that was it. This is so, from yeah, one of the world's was, best bartenders, by the way, you know, and one of the, yeah. one of the great bars of the world at the time. Yeah. Um, who has become, uh, you know, a great friend, a great mentor. And I call him dad. Like he is, he's my dad. He's my bar dad. Um, so yeah, what, that was, gosh. What made you want to jump behind the bar? I think that, you know, I always knew, so when I was at Time Out, it was like my dream job, right? And I know it sounds crazy, but like drink was the next logical step way before like, you know, Theo and I had got in touch. Um, yeah. I was like drink, I freelance for them a little bit and I was like drink is the next logical step. And then so when I left Time Out, I knew that I was going to try and maybe get into like trade booze media a little bit more. So I was like, you know, if you're going to write about it, then you should learn a little bit more about it. And I had, I've bartended a little bit before, um, you know, and like, obviously my friends are all bartenders. My best friend is Beckley Frank, who owns the Pontiac. Um, so, you know, she'd inspired me a lot. And at that point I'd been with Tom a couple of years. So, you know, it was very close to me. Um, yeah. And I just figured like, well, everyone I know bartends, so I should learn to do it a little bit more. Um, yeah. And that was, I think, I can't remember if it was late 2017 or 2018, but it was just amazing because then fast forward to Asia's 50 Best 2019 and Old Man was number one. And it was just like, it's just incredible to be a part of that as well. Like, sometimes yeah. I feel like, wow, I just joined this bar and then like it went to number one. Like, how lucky am I? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, I had really good fun there and the going was really great to work for. Like, I was never, you know, even though I was inexperienced, I was never made to feel like silly or if I got things wrong, like people were really understanding. And Agung gave us like carte blanche to be like, don't let people treat you like shit. You know, if people yeah. were mouthy to you, give it back to them, which is totally like my vibe. So that was, that was good <laughs> as well. Not that we had that very often, but it was just a really yeah. comfortable place to work, you know? Yeah. For people who don't know Agung, can you d describe him a little bit? Give some context to this guy? Because I met him, I think... 2015 when he was at the um the lobster bar is it the lobster bar yeah yeah, yeah. so agung prabowal uh he's uh from indonesia originally from jakarta and moved to hong kong i want to say 12 years ago now um and he sort of made a name for himself by he, he's been in hospitality most of his life but he made a name for himself at the lobster bar which is at the changri la in hong kong um and just turned it into a massive party like he was renowned from jumping for jumping on top of the bar and pouring shots of Jameson down people's yeah. throats and yeah. just being a, you know, he loves the party. Um, he's calming down a little bit in his old age, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's still the spark in there. Um, and then he moved to the Mandarin Oriental. Um, yeah, and then went and opened the old man. Um, and he's one of, you know, he's one of the big names in Asia. Like, I'm always surprised how little people know about Asia. You know, he is, He's as famous as, you know, the Ryan Chetty's, the Remy Savage, yeah. like he is that in Asia, you know, you've yeah. got him, Jay Khan, Beckley, like they're the big people in Asia. Um, so he's like, and Antonio Lai, you know, they're all up there. And yeah, yeah. he went and opened the Old Man and now he's opened Penicillin and Dead End. So yeah, he makes dope cocktails and likes to party, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I was at the Drink Magazine Bar Awards, I think it was 2018 or something. And I didn't know what was going on. It was held in Shanghai. I didn't know, really know many of the bars that were in there, but 
I decided to start betting with another Australian guy about who was going to win each award because I, I didn't know anyone there. It was fun for me. And every time I Google was involved in something, I just would double down and I made plenty of money. It was great. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in your role at Drink Magazine, what is like a, a day-to-day, how, what does your day-to-day look like? What kind of things are you working on most days? Um, well, usually I get out of bed. And as you can see right now, I don't usually get dressed until about one, which is great. <laughs> uh, no, I'm very fortunate to work from home. Um, and I live in a beautiful part of Hong Kong as well. Like I live quite rural. So it's a really nice place to, you know, settle down and work from home. But yeah, I tend to, you know, I get up. Um, I, it depends on the time of the year as well. Cause as you know, from your work as well, like it depends on awards are on and things like that. So this time of year, what are we in? End of June is quite busy. You've got tails coming up. Um, all the competitions are starting to amp up and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's like at the moment, what am I working on? Uh, I'm working on a few like pieces about new menus. So we've got one Burmese restaurant in Hong Kong and they've just launched a really great menu. Um, so I'm writing about that, you know, because everything that's going on in Myanmar, I think that they're, they're start, apparently they're starting to open up a little bit after the military coup. So the coup is still happening, but places like Yangon and stuff are really uh, starting to reopen tourism. So like, right. I'm always really keen, as much as I'm writing about a Burmese restaurant in Hong Kong, I'm also going to start writing about the bars in Myanmar because, you know, they deserve love. And we've all mm. been through a really tough time with COVID, but no one's been through a worse time than, you know, COVID and a military coup. So sure. I always try and like use my platform to talk about, the lesser scenes or the people who don't usually get to be, you know, at the forefront of everything. So as much as it's great to write about like Hong Kong and Singapore, I like to write about the the smaller people as well sure. and things like that. Um, have, you, and, have you seen that those yeah. bars around that, that region in those kind of places coming up a bit in the time that you've been doing the job? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been fortunate um, to go to Myanmar three times. Um, in last my last trip was november 2019 so you know not that long before covid um and uh beckley and i actually went and did a bar takeover so um a dope lady called jen queen who now lives in hong kong and she manages the pontiac which is beckley's bar uh she was one of the leading you know bar people in yangon and she invited us over for a takeover and the bars are great like you know, the scene is really small and there's still lots, lots to do, but like the people are so willing to learn. And, you know, some of these people might not have known who Beckley and I was, but they came because they wanted to see, you know, that what other people in the world are doing, because a lot of them don't get to travel and stuff like that. And the first time I went to Myanmar was 2015 and then last time 2019. Yeah, like so much changed there. So I really hope that they can start to continue to develop and, you know, that people as scary as things did get there, like, you know, like I said, Yangon's get back to normal. I really hope that it starts to open up and, you know, get guest bartenders and stuff back over there. Cause I really like, I would love to see those guys on, you know, 50 best and things like that. But yeah. I think we're a long way off from that. Unfortunately, you know, we still haven't got Cambodia getting recognized and things like that. So yeah, yeah that's, that's my mission for, you know, the rest of the year is to start shining. I always try to, but like shine more of a light on these smaller regions or for countries sure. rather. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And I guess there's probably something that sort of ties in with this book that you've just published, Cocktails of Asia. Is that right? What's, can you tell us what the yeah. idea is for the book? So cheesy as it sounds, <laughs> it like I always say it's my uh, love letter to Asia because anyone who knows me knows like, I love this region. I've lived here for most of my adult life. 
it feel I'm from London originally and like this feels like home to me you know yeah. so obviously it's been a tough time in Hong Kong when people are like why don't you just leave and I'm like because it's my home like you don't just leave your home you know um so this is my love letter to the region that I love the industry that I love the people that I love and you know you know after seeing the shit time that everyone went through in the pandemic I thought it was a really good time um I personally was going through a really difficult time and needed to channel my energy into something so at the beginning of 2021 my mum was diagnosed with cancer um mm. stage four cancer but she's doing really well um That's but cool. obviously you know I, I'm super close to my mum she's you know my biggest champion my biggest mentor so having that news just like slap you around the face just you know but the, the good thing about me is rather than uh what's the word like go into my shell I just channel that like manic energy into something so I channeled yeah. it into writing a book so it's kind of like a combination of you know my passion and that energy and just it just felt like the right time you know like as a writer I was like what is the next logical step and I just wanted something tangible and it was honestly like people say oh it must have been so hard and I really would love to be like oh yeah but it, it really wasn't like it all came it came so easily because it's what I love to do, you know. People, people hate um, people like you, you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, this came was, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, what, what I mean, like, it was a challenge. <laughs> of course it was a challenge and yeah. it's hard work, but, like, it wasn't... I guess what I mean is it not it was easy. It wasn't a grind, you know. It was... Sure. It, like, I, I loved doing it. It wasn't, like... And also in the midst of all this as well, I was diagnosed with ADHD, so I was... <laughs> I was like, you know, I've always struggled with like trying to concentrate and sit down. And yeah. I'm sure you know yourself as a writer, ADHD or not, it's really hard to get words on paper. Once yeah. you do, the flow starts, you know, but I think that also helps, you know, being diagnosed and starting to learn to manage that. And, you know, nothing that a little bit of Ritalin won't fix. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some of the greatest writers in history, ADHD or not, have used Ritalin to get, the, to get their words Yeah, on exactly. <laughs> How did, how did you know you had the right idea for the book? Was it something that you'd wanted to write for a long time or was it, did you have a few different ideas that you were sort of evaluating or was this was the book you wanted to write? Yeah, so originally, so how it all came about was um, my my publisher, um, she's, a, you know, was a friend. Well, she was more of an acquaintance but has become a dear friend now. Um, and she used to be like a magazine editor as well. Um, and she published... I think like four or five books and I, I reached out to her and I just, her name's Adele. And I said, Hey Adele, can I pick your brains? Um, you know, I, I, I didn't even know, like, how the fuck do you pitch a publisher? You know, yeah. like I had no yeah. idea. And she was the closest person to ask. And as I started telling her about my idea, so originally I wanted to do it purely on Hong Kong um, and delve into our cocktail history a little bit more. And we met up for coffee. And as I was talking to her, she said, I think that it would be better to expand, you know, like your, your, uh, what you cover at Drink Magazine and expand and cover all that, you know, and then mm. maybe down the line, look at doing like more detailed regional uh, or country specific versions of the book. So it, when people ask me, what's the future plan? That's probably it is to do like cocktails of Hong Kong, cocktails of Singapore, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, but let's see first. I'm still, you know, riding the wave of this one. But yeah, <laughs> so she, she kind of helped me tease it out because, the great thing about Adele as well is she knows she will be the first to put her hand up and say she knows nothing about bars or the industry, uh, you know, it, especially all of Asia. And in a way, it was really, really good to have that because, you know, like I said, all I've got Tom and I've got all my friends that are mm. 
it becomes a bit of an echo chamber, right? When you're surrounded by all bartenders. So to have a publisher that didn't know anything was really good because then she would challenge me and be like, well, why should we put this in? Or you should put this in. And like, she was telling me, oh, I can learn from this, you know, because I forgot that we have to aim at consumers as well, not just aiming at fellow industry, you know? Yeah, yeah. How did you address that challenge? What changes in tone did you have to make? What changes in the kind of content that you included did you have to make to appeal to a broad audience? Well, it kind of like it changed as it went on. So like it is one of the like the beautiful, interesting things that happen when writing the book is how you get from A to B and how much it changes, you know, in that process from like sitting and having that initial coffee with Adele to what I have in my hand now. Um, I don't have it in my hand now, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, It's audio. No one's going to (laughs) know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes, I'm holding it right now. Um, (laughs) Anyway, yeah, like it became, at first I was writing it like it was a bit more sort of like a listing and it felt like a little bit impersonal. And Adele and I were like, how can we change this? And I started to think, not that I am, I'm not comparing myself by any means to Charles H. Baker, but I started to think about his his writing and his book yeah. um, and how it's very anecdotal. Um, and I started to think, well, who's going to care about my anecdotes? Like, you know, I know a few people know me in Asia, but I was like, does anyone really care? So I started talking to Adele about it. And she was like, no, I think it makes it sound more authoritative. Like, you've mm. been to these places. You can talk about them. Um, I've not necessarily been to every single bar. Like, some of the bars included are just ones that I've been admiring from afar or, you know, I think really represent their country well. Um, But yeah, so we started like adding in these anecdotes and things like that. And it's been really nice because the reception, so many people are just like, I love that you put like your own stories in. Like, you know, for example, um, I know you spoke to my boss recently, Mr. Theo Watt, the founder of Drink Magazine. Um, You know, I write the story of how I met him because I like, as, as much of my boss as he is, he's become a great friend. And again, like a, a fantastic mentor because he just lets me be me. And mm. I wanted to honor that in the book, you know, and I also dedicated the book to him as well. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Um, uh, well, I think that that kind of the human element to the things, because drink writing can be a little bit geeky and a little bit like, uh, who cares kind of thing. I had some yeah. advice when I first started writing. Uh, but from my girlfriend at the time, and she's like, you know, most people don't care about this, right? They care about people. Booze should be about people. Yeah, no, totally agree. Like, and that's the thing I think I struggled with. Like, one thing I remember, so when I started at Drink Magazine, um, luckily the previous editor who I took over, she had also been the food and drink editor for Time Out Singapore. So <laughs> me being the time... And it's really weird. And then our Shanghai editor had also been the food and drink editor for Time Out Shanghai. So... <laughs> Drink clearly likes, you know, the timeout stable. Yeah, gotcha. um, but they, it was nice because the team knew like, okay, this is what you are used to writing about. And this is how you have to transition to drink magazine. Um, and, but the one thing that I really missed is as much as I said, like one of the things that I tired at, at drink uh, at timeout, sorry, was writing food reviews. But then after a few years went on at drink, I was like, I'm kind of miss those reviews. I miss putting my personality in things because, you know, again, like you said, you know full well that we interview a lot of people and we love to tell people stories. But sometimes I do miss putting that little bit of your own flair into it or your own anecdotes mm. or your own stories. Um, it's content. So I started to try and, yeah, I started to try and do that a little bit more and write a little bit more in like the first person as well, which we never used to do on drink. But 
hey, I'm the boss now, so I'm changing it. Um, yeah, well, that's and, something yeah, I've been trying to do as well. It's a, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a trend in writing more broadly. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, for example, I was fortunate enough um, last uh, two months ago to go to the Thai winery. And, you know, I'm talking about visiting it. So why wouldn't I write it in the first person? It's my experience, you know, yeah. and that, that sort of, there's a time and a place for it, of course, you know, but I think it's, I think style guides suck. I think that, you know, when we were at Time Out, you have to subscribe to such, you know, there's a sure with like, okay, British spelling, things like that. This is yeah. what we upcap. But I think style guides can be very like restrictive. So I'm just kind of just doing what feels right, you know? Yeah. And like, so for people who don't know, a style guide is something that's like the, it's like the Bible of the, the, the publication's tone of voice, right? Yeah, basically. So it tells you, you know, are you using British or American spelling and, you know, yeah. I mean, God, ours is ridiculous amount of pages long, but I, I think I read it once and that was it. So <laughs> I, I think I started on one at bartender and then was like, this is pointless. You know, <laughs> like it's, there's yeah. no need for this. Yeah. I was going to update our one and I was just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, why did you choose to put this into a book rather than say, like a personal newsletter or, you know, another bloody podcast. Uh, <laughs> why, why, what is it about the, the form of a book that attracted you to it? Do you know what? I don't know. That's a very good question that nobody's ever asked me. And I have never thought, like, why? It just sort of, I don't know. It's just like, I think I said earlier, like, it just felt like the next logical step. Like, mm. okay, I'm a writer. What do writers do? You know, <laughs> I write online. And, you know, behind me, I've got like a whole box. Make, maybe I missed. Print. I don't know because I've got a whole box of my old like timeouts and a couple of drink used to print. And when I freelance for them, um, I like have the magazines that I was in. Yeah, I think that I think that you know as much as people say print is dead, I think that you know books aren't, especially when it comes to cocktails. And also, no one has done it in Asia. Like there, there's some yeah. great books, like you know Nicholas Caldicott, who is the Academy Chair for Japan. He's written a Tokyo cocktail book, but no one had done like an Asia one, you know, so right. it was just like, it just felt like I was filling a, a niche as well. And just, you know, like I said, I know I keep being all like woo woo about it, but like honoring the region that I love and giving it what I thought it deserved, you know? Yeah. Is it, is there any complications in, in the fact that you're not originally, I guess, from the region in writing a book about the region? Is that something you had to sort of be mindful of as you're, as you're going about it? Yeah, I mean, like, of course, you know, there's so many different cultures here and you have to respect them. And, like, it is tough because I am super aware that I'm a white woman telling the story of, you know, a region that I am not yeah. from. But one thing that I love is, you know, throughout my career, I've had people come to me and just, like, say thank you. You know, thank you for what you do because, you know, they were like, we're not doing it. We like – I can't remember one of my friends – described me she was just like you're like our megaphone you know you just you amplify <laughs> what we're doing oh holly that's and such I a good description i love that <laughs> <laughs> oh and just to add to that as well i always say people are like oh you wear your heart on your sleeve and i'm like no i don't i shout it for a megaphone um <laughs> but no like it was uh i think it was uh yvonne who so we used to work together um at the old man and uh she is uh now the head bartender at argo which is doing really well in hong kong um, and, you know, we've been working together since she was 19. So, like, it's just been amazing to see her, like, grow up. But, um, yeah, she was like, you know, we, we really like what you do. And, that you know, you, like, you shout our achievements out for everyone. And, you know, I, I guess, like, I take comfort in that, that, like, 
as long as my people in my region think that I'm doing okay, then I must be doing okay. You know, yeah. you're doing something right. Yeah. Um, what do you think makes a good cocktail book these days? Because there was a there was a time there, you know, before the 2000s kicked off, where there were no real good cocktail books kicking around. Then we discovered all these old ones, and then there's been this massive proliferation of cocktail books out there. There's cocktail books on every sort of niche thing in the world. There's no alcohol cocktail books. What do you think makes a good one? What do you think makes what do you think makes one um, vital kind of reading? Well, actually, like if you take away the reading element, let's look at design first because I think that's really important. So yeah. I have loads of people message me and say your cocktail book is the perfect size. So it's the same just for reference because people are probably be more familiar with it. It's the same size as like me and bartender menu, uh, manual, which is a bit smaller right. because I remember one of my friends was just like she went on an absolute rant and she told me. I was like, can I, cause she was like, oh, your books are amazing. And then she went on this rant about how cocktail books are too big. And I said, oh, <laughs> can I share this on Instagram? She was like, no, I don't want people to think I'm bitching about big books. But she was saying like, all the books are too big nowadays. And if you want them on your bar, you don't want this like huge tome, you know? So yeah. size, size matters. Um, <laughs> and design as well. Like I think one thing I never forget sitting in my living room. So um, I have a beautiful little home bar. And it is adorned with, you know, all kinds of cocktail recipe books and other, you know, just booze books. And I looked at my shelf when we were deciding on the cover and I just literally looked and I was like, what color books aren't there? And there are no purple books. Um, Like uh, like mine's more of like a royal purple, you know, not like Cadbury's purple. Um, (laughs) And I just looked because I love red. Red is my favorite color. But, you know, my publisher was like, it's starting to look a bit similar to like Joy of Mixology by uh, Gary Regan, God Rest His Soul. And I just thought, yeah, there's no purple books because you want to stand out as well. Like it's a dark color, but there's no purple and gold. So, yeah, and it looks like regal, you know, and I I just think that helps. Um, I think that detailed recipes, I think that... um, a lot of my recipes, look, you're not going to be able to make some of them at home. And that necessarily, that isn't necessarily the point of the book. For example, to use a gum as another example, he uses a lot of like, uh, like clarification and centrifugal um, machine and uh, what do you call it? Rotovat. Mm. So I do include those recipes and all the specs of how to use them because some bartenders obviously might want to recreate or try and use those. But also, I do think if you're like a nerdy consumer, it's interesting for you to read about those things as well. Like, you're not necessarily going to make that recipe at home, but that isn't the point of the book. You shouldn't be able sure. to make all of them. It's not It's not cocktails yeah. at home. It's cocktails of Asia, you know? Yeah, look, so I mean, I think there's, like, there's, food, there's food books, restaurant books, like Alinea's food uh, recipe books and stuff, and the El Bulli ones and stuff. Like, most people can't make the stuff that's in there ever. exactly yeah Mm. and it's just like people just want to look at them and it you know and it has to be pretty um and another good thing that like bit of feedback that i had is it it might not sound aspirational but when i first wanted to do the book i just wanted to do a coffee table book it was going to be like mostly picture centric but i think you know after talking about like adding those anecdotes and things like that a lot of people have told me that they've sat and actually read my book like cover to cover you know and probably read it like a book because they're like it's stories as well it's not just like facts they're like i want to read it like a storybook and that's like that's been really nice feedback to hear as well can you can you read it like a i mean almost a travel guide at all yeah absolutely so we put the cocktails actually like in alphabetical order um as opposed to country order but absolutely you would pick it up and be like you know these these recipes look dope or this you know 
Singapore's got all these cool bars or like, I really want to go and yeah. try that drink in Hong Kong. Like, absolutely. And one of the nicest things I heard was I trotted off down to the bookstore because I wanted to see my book in the store nice. and I couldn't actually see it on the shelf. And I asked the lady and she was like, oh, and like straight away, this little old lady, I said, oh, do you have a book called Cocktails of Asia? And she was like, oh, yes, yes. Very, very pretty book. Very pretty book. I've sold many copies of it. And I was like, it was such yes. an amazing moment. Like, I just scooped my jaw off the floor. Like, that was my one goodness. of the best moments for me. And she trotted off and she opened it up and she was like, yeah, lots of people have been picking this up. And she opened it and was like, so in the front cover, there's a picture of me. And she was like, and I pulled, because I, we still have a mask mandate in Hong Kong. I pulled my mask down. And I was like, yeah, it's my book. And she was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And she was like, you just came to see it. And I was like, yeah, I just wanted to see it on the shelf. And she was like, oh, but yeah, like hearing like, you know, the, I guess I never thought again that like random people would just buy my book in the bookshop. I thought it would just yeah. be like my mate supporting me, you know, so that was really nice to hear as well. That's fantastic. Obviously writing the book, getting it designed, getting it all proofed and sent back and getting it published and, and sent out to the places, one part of the, the book writing process, but you've also got to promote this thing. How have you approached that task? Yeah, so we, it, the way we started it was a bit weird and backwards. So when, when we were at the proofing stage, I was traveling. So I went to the, where did I go? USA. I've forgotten where I went on my last trip. USA. Oh, USA, Colombia, Mexico, and Argentina. Um, and so basically I wrote everything before I set off on this trip, which was in February of this year. Um, and then, so that meant like when I was traveling, there was lots of proofing, like Adele and I sat and had a couple of like physical proofs together before I left. But then I think we had like one or two more when I was on the road, which was super difficult because like when I was in Colombia, I was really, really busy. And there were days that I just have to say to like, you know, my, my, my hosts who are amazing, but I'd just be like, you have to leave me alone today. Like I have to lock myself in my hotel and proofread this book, you know? Yeah. Um, also, because Adele and I had to speed up the process, because when Asia's 50 Best Bars announced that they were going to have a live event in Thailand, I realized that timing-wise of my trip, that A, I could go, um, and B, what better place to you know start promoting Perfect. the book than Asia's 50 Best Bars when all the region's bartenders are going to be around. So our printer is in China, and Adele had got like three boxes, so I think like 60... 80 copies sent to me in Bangkok. She hadn't even seen it. She'd only seen the dummy copy. Sent them to me in Bangkok. My dear friends at Tropic City, like, held it for me. Sent it over in, like, a Grab, uh, which is, like, Uber, basically, in Asia. Sent wow. it in Grab to my hotel. And, like, I filmed myself opening the book and being like, oh, like, opening the box. So, yeah, yeah and, like, sold it, sold it to loads of people there. And then I went to Singapore after that. So I had another shipment waiting for me in Singapore to give to people. Um... And yeah, I think that basically I saw the book before she did. So then we had the official launch in Hong Kong at Argo again. So Argo is in the book. Uh, they were number yeah. three on Asia's 50 Best this year. And I had this like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like a subset of imposter syndrome, but you know when you like throw a party and you think no one's going to come? I was like, no one's going to come to my book launch. No one's going to come. And like everyone came and it was amazing. Because oh, it was amazing. invite only. So it was mostly industry. But we had like, you know, 50 odd people turn up on a Sunday afternoon, which was great. Um, and like my face hurt from grinning. My hand hurt from signing. At one point, I just had this like pile. And I was like, you don't realize how much that you, when, you know, we write on keyboards all day, but you can't, I can't like handwrite anymore. And I was so yeah. embarrassed about my handwriting. I was like, I don't want to find any more books. <laughs> so yeah, that was 
had an official launch, blasted all the Hong Kong media, have blasted uh, international media like yourself. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so then setting off on another trip, um, I'm going to uh, going to the UK briefly um, just to renew my passport, but we'll be giving out some books when I'm there. Yeah. Um, going to Mexico again and USA for Tales. So Tales yeah. will be really good because I'm doing a seminar with uh, Martin Hudak, who just wrote his book, uh, yeah. one of yours, uh, over in Sydney. Uh, Julia Momase, who just won a James Beard Award for her book, so that's incredible. Um, yeah. And um, Michael Anstendig, who co-authored uh, Massa's book from Katana Kitten. So they were also James Beard nominated. Yeah. Uh, Julia and Massa's book have also been shortlisted at Tales, which is amazing. Um, I'd just like to point out that I wasn't on Tales because it was too late. So next year. So everyone remember Cocktails of Asia next year for Tales, please. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed for that. It's got yeah, to be the front runner already. It's got to be. Come on. Yeah. Um, so we're doing a seminar basically called We Wrote a Book, um, talking about, because we all come from different walks of publishing you know martin self-published i work with a local publisher i'm really close to um yeah. massa worked with uh michael Anstendig and hannah lee who you know are not publishers but like they're more uh pr and things like that yeah. um and then you know um julia wrote her book um like co-wrote with an author as well so yeah we'll be talking about the different processes i'm hoping that people at the seminar walk away with you know inspiration or you know how you know, like I said to you earlier, I didn't know how on earth to kick off writing a book. So that's what yeah. I'm hoping we can teach other people, you know, because all bartenders think they're fucking Ernest Hemingway or Charles H. Baker, <laughs> like, just like me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that hits a little close to home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's wonderful. Um, I hope you're going to have some books to sell at the Tales of Men as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So we've shipped them over and they very kindly offered me. So they have um, a little shop basically where they sell like a lot of Cocktail Kingdom stuff. Um, and I'll be selling and signing some of my books there as well. So yeah. again, I've got this like imposter syndrome thing of America is going to be like, who's Holly Graham? And like not give a fuck about my book. But <laughs> I'm hoping I sell them all because otherwise I have to carry them to bloody Argentina with me. So yeah. Oh, look, as long not. as it looks pretty, they'll buy it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I did want to ask as well. Can you make money running a book? Is this, you know, a profitable thing to go down? I'm going to give you a big N-O on that one. <laughs> so one of the things that Adele said to me when we met for that first coffee, coffee, and one of the reasons I think, one of the big reasons, I mean, A, that she loved my idea, but B, was she was like, I know, uh, I said to her, I was like, I know I'm not going to make money for this. And she was like, good you have the exact right expectations. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm more than happy to take you on because yeah, a lot of yeah. people think they're doing it to make money. Look, if you're JK Rowling or, you know, Stephen King or something, of course you're going to make money because you're yeah. going to sell like millions of copies, but I, I will make a little bit of money, but that's not why. And I'm not trying to be like, Oh, I'm not doing it for the money, but I'm not like, I just sure. wanted to write a book, you know, and the, yeah. the little bit of money that I get off royalties is a bonus. So yeah, you know, what, like, what's, what's a what's a good like if what what's a good figure for you if you sold X amount of copies? What what one would you be like super stoked with? You mean like how many like how many like, copies that I sold? Yeah, well, not, I'm not asking how many you have sold, but like what's a what's a figure that you'd be really pleased with if you sold X amount of copies? One. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no. No, look. <laughs> 
Oh, that's <laughs> if a great one answer. person bought my book and that would probably be my mum. Uh, no, uh, look, I think we've sold a couple of hundred already because uh, I noticed the other day, like on um, Amazon, that it said like there was only 18 in stock left. So I told my publisher because we have to send. Um, Amazon's quite complicated. You have to send it to the USA and then they store it in a warehouse, but they charge you storage. So we're only sending like quite small batches at a time. So we don't risk right. them just like, you know. Um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, estimate we've sold a couple of hundred already and I'm more than pleased with that, honestly. Um, That's awesome. I don't know because I don't know how many we've sold in the bookshops, but I would honestly say like, I don't know. I want to say like a thousand, but like even just a couple of hundreds, like it's just, yeah. it's just nice to have it out there. And, you know, I think it's not about selling it. I think for me, it's like where I'll see it. Like I hope I just rock into a random cocktail bar one day and see it yeah. on their shelf or something like that. I think, you know, I keep waiting for that, that moment. So Adele said to me, she said, Oh, when you see it in the bookshop, like, cause I was like, it hasn't quite sunk in. And she was like, when you see it in the bookshop, and like that was a good moment, and then the launch was a good moment, but it's still like I don't know because people keep saying like, "What does it feel like to be an author?" And I'm like, it kind of feels the same except to have a book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm waiting for that big moment, like awesome moment, but yeah, it's not yeah. really happened. So, yeah. oh, well, it sounds pretty awesome to me. Um, for people who did want to buy the book, uh, I assume it's probably be better for them to buy direct from you guys or something than going through Amazon. Yeah. Or- uh, well, we do sell. I'll send you the links. So hopefully, you can sure. share them in the show notes. Um, I think it's shipping to Australia because uh, my dear friend Millie Tang told me that she had a copy. She sent me a picture of her copy, so I know it's getting, if it can get to Brisbane, it can get to anywhere in Australia. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think that we can go through Amazon, but I'll send you both links because we sell directly through my publisher um, and Amazon. But yeah, postage might be a bit shit. But for any Aussie, Aussies listening, uh, well, I'm sure they're all Aussies listening, I will be in Australia in November, so I'll be bringing some copies with me. Wonderful. Last question for you. The, the writing life that you, you live, uh, is it something you would recommend to other people to get into? What, what kind of character traits do they need to have to sort of a, uh, succeed in this kind of life, but also to enjoy it? Um, I think like something that I always say that sounds really harsh. Like I remember when we were at timeout and we had interns and like, I growing up, I always thought, Oh, I don't have any talents. Like I wasn't, you know, I was a fat kid. I wasn't sporty. I couldn't play instruments, but I was always good at talking and writing. Um, but I never thought of those as skills. I think because they came naturally, but like, I do think that you, and I'm sure you agree. You do have to have a foundational skill as a writer. I don't think it's something that can be taught. Um, I think that you have to have like skills as a journalist, which it's like being a bartender, right? You can teach someone how to be a journalist, but you can't teach them how to write. So with a bartender, you can teach someone how to make drinks, but you can't teach hospitality skills. Like there's something that's innate in people. Um, So I think like if you've got that talent for writing and you're not scared to ask questions, then you're already on the right track, you know, and just write more and more and more. And, you know, again, like I'm sure with you, Sam, like we'll go back and look at some of our first writings and be like, oh, yeah. God, you know. Even stuff I wrote a year ago, I'm like, oh, fuck me. And um, there was a time there, though, when I looked back at some of my first stuff, I was like, fuck, that's a lot better than what I'm putting out today. That's the scary. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah. That's because you started to give up. You're just like, oh, um, uh, Yeah, so I think that foundational skill, not being scared to ask questions. I think you have to be a self-starter, whether you work from home like me or you're in an office, because you have to have that wherewithal to, you know, approach people and ask questions and find stories and sniff things out, you know. Um, 
And you do have to be fairly sociable, I think, because you're speaking to people all the time. Um, and you have to be passionate in the subject, subjects that you're writing about. Like, I don't feel like, like, you know, there's that cheesy saying. I've said cheesy so many times in this podcast. But there is that cheesy saying. It's because I had cheese last night. Um, <laughs> that, that saying, um, you know, that what is it if you work your dream job, you'll never work a day in your life or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, love, love like, what you I, do I, and you, it's not really work kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I feel like. So, but it did used to feel like work when I was writing at Time Out. But now I'm writing about the, the stuff that I love, like booze and cocktails and things like that. It doesn't really feel like work. It doesn't, nothing feels like mm. an ordeal. It's just like, I like, you know, you're happy at your job when I'm genuinely excited to check emails every day. I'm like, oh, yeah. what's in my inbox today? Like, and I've never had, <laughs> never had that dread of going back to work after a holiday or things like that. Like, you know, yeah. just. And it is hard. I know. I know. I'm super lucky, but you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast and thinking, "Oh, fuck you, Holly, your job sounds like really great." Like, <laughs> I had to work a long bloody time to get to it, and I've had some awful bosses. You know, it wasn't yeah. until I was like almost thirty that I found my true calling. You know, so yeah, yeah. Well, you know, especially if you're going to be a writer, you got to live a bit beforehand. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And for me, I always joke because I have just like nothing in the way of pension saved, and I haven't got any. <laughs> assets or anything but i always joke i'm like being a writer is my insurance for being older because it is something that you can luckily do into later life so yeah. that's uh that's my excuse for not saving money <laughs> <laughs> i like it i might borrow that one uh, yeah holly graham thank you so much for talking to me today i really enjoyed that chat um i'll encourage everyone to go out and buy the book i'm sure it's freaking amazing thank you please do please do and i'll see you soon australia i miss you i'm looking forward to it Thank you to Holly Graham for joining me and thank you to you for listening. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please give it a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts or wherever you get yours. If you've got some thoughts on this episode that you'd like to share, my email is sam at boothboo.com.au. It would be great to hear from you. Until next week, this has been Drinks at Work by Boothboo.